Since the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, relationships between Christians and Muslims has been defined by fear. My guest encourages Christians to set aside their fears, their excuses, and their differences and share the good news of the gospel. Stay tuned as we discuss conversation starters, insights, biblical responses to common questions, stories, and many practical applications. Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ministry ideas and innovative approaches. I'm Dennis Weens, your host, Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, Sat7 USA. Most people in the Middle East and North Africa will never have an opportunity to meet a Christian. Many are curious, though, why Christians have hope. You can tell them. Change their future one day at a time by sponsoring a day of broadcast cost for just $670. Please visit sat7usa.org. That's S-A-T, the number 7, USA.org. And check the tab, Ways to Give. On the drop-down menu, click the tab, Sponsor a Day, to learn more. My guest today is Fuad Masri. Fuad uh, grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. He's third-generation ordained pastor. He's an author and lecturer. He's written 14 books. He's the founder and CEO of The Crescent Project. We're going to talk more about that. And Fuad holds a bachelor's degree in mass communication and an MA from Fuller Theological Seminary in Islamic Studies. So Fuad, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. This is going to be a great conversation. Thank you, Dennis. Great to be with you. You know, you grew up in the Middle East and uh, in Beirut, and I think many of our listeners think of the Middle East. They think a family, third-generation pastor uh, from Beirut. Uh, They think of most of the Middle East as Muslim, and here you come from a Christian family in the Middle East, so that's really a paradigm shift for a lot of people's thinking in the West. Yes, there's a lot of traditional Christians, people from all the way from the days of Jesus, uh, when Islam took the area, came out of Arabia, the Muslim army uh, took over what is now known as Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Israel. That that was done in a battle around 640, 650, that 10-year that, um, range. Uh, they established Islam as the as a government and religion of the people, but there were Christian communities there. Right. Uh, however, for my family, we the way we became believers is my grandfather, Isa, ran away from the Ottoman uh, army and uh, went to Ellis Island. They told him, go west, young man. And so he moved to Toledo, Ohio. He heard the gospel, became a believer, moved back to Lebanon, uh, died as a minister of the gospel in Damascus, outside Damascus, Syria. So that's how the gospel came through our family. Uh, although I grew up in a Christian home, I was not a believer. I had right. my doubts. And God used the Lebanese war in the civil war to draw me closer to Jesus. And I made a commitment to follow Christ till the day I die. And I asked God to change my heart. And God gave me love for Muslims, for Israelis, for Iranians. And uh, my life was changed. I started um, looking at my neighbors, not what do, what do they worship and or how they worship or are they Jewish background or uh, Muslim background, but rather as God's creation. God created all these people, and God loves all these people, for God so loved the whole world. 
And then uh, the verse that really impacted me was John chapter 10, verse 10, where the Bible, Jesus says to the people around him, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you look at our culture, if you look at our countries, they're stealing from each other, killing each other, destroying each other. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I dedicated my life to do. You know, you grew up in Lebanon, and uh, you just published your 14th book. So congratulations, uh, sharing Jesus with Muslims, uh, sharing Jesus with anybody you come in contact with. Really, it's a great book. I just read it. I've given it to somebody else already. But in the preface of that book, and I encourage everybody to get it and read it, in the preface of that book, you talk about a family that was friends of your parents' family, yes. and a mortar shell came into their apartment one night, and uh, that episode killed the family. The husband was out of the room at the time to get something, and the family, the rest of the family was killed. But that was so pivotal in your life. And I think through that experience, you saw that hate and revenge and politics is not the answer to the problems. Yeah, uh, my brother Dennis is the the situation we're in, and it's every generation. Every generation thinks uh, maybe more money will solve the problem. Oh, maybe more weapons, or maybe more politics, or maybe if one side wins. I mean, World War One was known as the Great War that will end all wars. Well, welcome to the human race. <laughs> that, that was nothing compared to World War II and the wars that we're seeing in Vietnam. And now we're watching Ukraine. It, the, the reason I like to share that story is these people were just having dinner. It doesn't matter their religious background. It doesn't matter even how they vote. They were just having a meal. The two-year-old son spilled milk. The father took his son to the bathroom to wash his hands. And a mortar shell, a haphazard bombing, kills the whole family. And this was a trigger to show me again that the problem with the human race is sin. You can teach people to love their neighbor, but that does not mean they do it. Right. You can teach people not to be racist. That does not mean they're going to not be racist. The, the power of the gospel is it changes our mind, our value system, our heart. That cannot be bought, and that cannot be taught. You can speak it, but where do you get the power? That's why the Bible says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. What we are presenting to people today, not only in America, anywhere, and not only to Muslims, to anybody, what we're presenting is a Savior who is alive, who can change a sinner to a saint, who can make us a people who are godly, who are seeking after God. That doesn't mean we're perfect. No, perfection is to God, but it means that our lifestyle is changed. Our words, our thoughts, our actions are changed. This is not like a label. Oh, yeah, I get the label. You know, I, I went to a meeting and I got the label. No, God changes heart. And that story proves to us today that sin can come in different ways. It can come in a suit and a tie, like the Enron scandal, you know. But sin is sin, whatever you go, and only Savior for sin is Jesus, the son of the Virgin Mary, who was born according to the prophets and who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead for our justification and to live in us and give us a hope and, and, a, and a vision for the future. And after that incident, you gave your heart to Christ, uh, your life. The follow-up to that, you came to the States for theological education. 
through that experience, you realize the urgency for teaching American Christians to reach out to a growing population of internationals that were coming, and to an American church that by and large didn't understand how to have conversations with internationals that were living here. And so in 1993, you founded the Crescent Project. Yes, our goal is where there is a church to partner with the church to reach out to Muslims in their community. If there is no church, we are involved in what we call church planting, basically mm-hmm. starting conversations. Uh, if people become believers, put them in a Bible study. And uh, so we're seeing traction. Uh, this is our 30th year of ministry. And uh, for for us, we're focusing on countries where with the majority Muslim population. And because of the internet, now we are serving in 96 countries, and we our dream is to be in 120 countries in the next three years. One thing I appreciated about your book, it talks a lot about conversational apologetics. Yes. And I think that's a paradigm shift for us in the West in terms of living our faith, but also in having conversations, our fear and our excuses stand in the way of us just having gospel conversation. So I really appreciated your perspective in the book, talking about conversational apologetics. It's not, uh, I think a lot of times we get into apologizing apologetics or confrontational apologetics, but just to have a conversation, a gospel conversation. So I appreciated that perspective. Just share your thoughts a little bit about sure. having a conversation. Sure. Thank you. Conversations count. The Amen. goal of the church is to speak about the Lord. Jesus, in his life, spoke to people, whether it was the Samaritan woman at the well, or whether when he asked, who touched me? And that story, the disciple says, what do you mean, who touched you? <laughs> there are people pushing. And, and suddenly, it's the woman with the issue of the blood. It's like, oh, I touched the hem of his garment. Uh, or when he uh, healed the lepers. and uh, Or when he healed the man, and the man said to him, who are you? He goes, I'm the Messiah. Uh, or the the one uh, born blind, the 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 leaders, the Jewish leaders, and the uh, priests said to him, "Don't you know that we don't like this man? He's he's not from God." And the blind man says, "Well, I don't know theology, but I know I was blind and now I see." So yeah. you know, in the powerful about the life of Jesus, it's a great model for us. You have to speak. You have to say something. You and I, Dennis, we didn't come to Christ without somebody sharing with us that God loves us that God saves us, and Jesus is ready to live in us. So conversations are important. So we challenge Christians to look at the Great Commission again. I've lived in America 30 years, and the Great Commission is not taught in our churches, and the Great Commission is to go to all people, all. And we sometimes we think, you know, the goal of the church is maybe a building fund. I'm, I'm not against building funds, but the goal of the church is to be a light, to be hands and feet of Jesus. So we have to talk to our neighbor. When it comes to Muslims with Islam, Islam are, uh, is a religion that's merged with politics. So many times Muslim people have a misinformation about us or what I use the word static. There are a lot of distractions. So you have to reach the heart of a Muslim, but before you reach the heart, you must reach the mind because they are fed wrong information about Jesus. Give you a simple thing. They are taught that Jesus was born under a palm tree. Well, that's not true. It says he was born in a manger. There were shepherds. There were kings, the magi. 
all these details of the story, they don't know. So mm -hmm. the struggle when you're talking to a Muslim is you want to get rid of the static. That's why we use the word apologetics. Apologetics, the key biblical word, apologetics means a defense. But Jesus, but sorry, but the Bible says in 2 Peter that be also always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer. That's the defense, apologia, to give an answer to anyone who asks. But that's not how the end of the verse. The verse ends, anyone who asks about the hope that is within you. So that section in the book called Conversational Apologetics is how to respond to the mind by bringing the message uh, back to the hope of Christ. That's how you reach the heart. Then Muslims will start asking. So for example, I was talking to somebody from Senegal. And the first thing they said, well, we don't want to be Christians because Christians worship three gods. I asked the person, "How? what are the three gods? I didn't know that we worship three gods. He said, yeah, you worship God the Father, Mary the mother, and Jesus the baby. They were accusing that we believe in a sexual act between God and Mary. Well, that's an insult to two billion you know, Christians. We don't, we right. believe in the virgin birth. It's a miracle. So I responded that way. So that person's hurdle on the mind is that we worship three gods. When I responded that we worship only one God with his word and his spirit, it was a different conversation. God's word became Jesus. The spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. What, what existed first? God? His word existed first? Or his spirit? Who came first? Well, they all work together. So it, it, when you put it in these terms, it makes the conversation move forward. Right. Uh, another person was saying to me, why do you worship a man called Jesus? I said, sir, we don't worship Jesus as a man. We worship him as the Lord, as the word of God. So it, it's they, because Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is more than just a prophet. You know, the resurrection and the virgin birth proved that Jesus was more. He is not like Muhammad. He's not like Joshua. He's not like Moses. He's greater. And the epistle of Hebrews tells us that he was, uh, Christ is greater because he's the incarnate word of God. So uh, it, the reason it's important, this section in the book, is as you're talking, as you're conversing, maybe over a cup of tea, cup of coffee, maybe at work, maybe in a study room. A lot of people meet Muslims in class or maybe you're teaching English. They might ask you a question. So the conversation, you respond, bring it back to Jesus. And for us, you know, who came to Christ and, and our listeners who are believers, we all know that we had questions and questions is not a sin. The Bible never says it's a sin to even doubt. Thomas doubted, and Jesus solved his doubt. While in Islam, doubt is a sin punishable by death. While in Christianity, you can doubt, because true doubt leads to true faith. If you're seeking, you will find. And that's the power of the message of Jesus, answering the question and bringing the, the whole answer to the central work of Christ in the life of the person. And you have to be having these conversations to get to that point where they start asking questions. And in your book, you have a lot of these illustrations. You have a lot of examples of how to start conversations. You have a lot of uh, basic answers to the common questions that uh, people ask. Uh, what are some fears? You've been doing this for 30 years. What are some fears that come to mind, you know, as, you know, we think about a conversation, you don't have 
theological background or you're hesitant to get into these conversations because they might ask a tough question. What are some of these fears that uh, you find that people in the West have to have these conversations? Yeah, the, the first thing we noticed in the last 30 years in the West is there's this fascination. You know, it's like, oh man, do you like hummus? Well, hummus is a meal. That's not that's an Islamic, it's not an Islamic thing, you know. So there's this fascination, and we try to help Christians move from fascination to compassion. Yes, right. many Muslims are educated. Yes, many Muslims are what we call nominal. They don't know the religion, they're nominal. Some are militant, absolutely. So we don't want to say it's not true. No, there is jihad. Yes, there is a problem. But most Muslims today are not involved in jihad. They're like us. The other fear is people think that they need to know everything before they start. That's not true. It's not true. These people are looking for friends. Many times, Muslim immigrants, Muslim students, they just want a friend. They don't, they don't want, you know, they don't have a big agenda. They're just coming, get, a, get an education. Maybe if they're refugees trying to survive, so they need a friend. And many times what becomes a hurdle for us is we're afraid because we think we need to know everything. That's not true. You just need to know enough to begin a conversation. The other thing I want to encourage, and this happens in my life. I've been sharing the gospel for 30 years. If I get a question, I don't know the answer. I always say, hey, that's a good question. Can you give me some time? I'll research it. I'll get back to you. It's all right. It's okay. The other thing you find that being honest with your Muslim friend is, is amazing because they are not allowed to question. So many times they are sharing with you because they maybe trust you more than their own imam or religious leader uh, or their grandfather because they're, we, we live in a shame and honor society. So that's another fear. The other fear is that there's no interest among Muslims. I was in Michigan. I met about, I was sitting at a, a conference and there was like, 12 people, all college students that happened to be on the table. So I said to them, hey, guys, uh, you go to universities in Michigan. Do you have uh, Muslim students? And they said, oh, yeah. I said, do you talk to them about Jesus? And they said, oh, no, we don't. I said, why not? He goes, because they might get upset. I said, but did you talk to them about Jesus? They said, no. I said, how do you know they're going to get upset? See, they already judged the people before they even started talking about the Lord. So yeah. I challenged them. I said, you don't know if they're going to get upset. Start talking. They don't want to talk about Jesus. Okay, don't talk. But you, we have discovered in the last t 10 years, more Muslims have become followers of Jesus in the last 10 years. More Muslims have become followers of Jesus than the previous 1,400 years. Number one reason why they came to Christ, somebody talked to them about Jesus. Right. Number two reason, they read the Bible in their language. And number three reason, they had a dream of Jesus. So there is so much openness now. And I'll be honest with our listeners. We haven't reached critical mass. I agree. We haven't reached a lot of people. But compared to the last 1,800 years, 1,400 years, many of them have become. We're seeing reports from Iran, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Malaysia, reports from Africa where Muslims are downloading Bibles, they're reading Bibles, they're uh, on conversations. Our ministry, Crescent Project, last year, 41,000 hours online talking to Muslims. We have 500 volunteers. And the beautiful thing is the conversations are respectful, people asking good questions, and people want to know more. What does Jesus say about marriage? What does Jesus say about war? What does Jesus say about money? And so we have an answer to our brothers and sisters in Islam and to help them see the light of Christ.
You know, before we run out of time, I'd want to move on to what you provide as an organization. I know I've referred a lot of people and churches to your Bridges program. I think it's one of the better uh, programs to learn how to uh, start these conversations. I know I'm looking on your website, you've got a podcast, you've got a lot of printed material, you've got uh, 500 volunteers. What are some uh, resources? Where does somebody listening to this podcast, uh, where do they start? to get Absolutely. better informed. Absolutely. They can go to cphope.org. That's like Crescent Project Hope, so cphope.org. And we have now 30 videos, two minutes long, that they can download as questions people ask. I mean, simple question like, how do we get a conversation? What do I say when they ask me about Trinity or something like that? So these are available immediately. The other challenge for our listeners, would you please commit to pray for Muslims? I know a lot of people say to me, why are you talking about prayer? Brothers and sisters, the reason we are seeing this move because millions of Christians are now praying for Muslims. Let's get this prayer movement so they can sign up to something called Call to Prayer. They can receive emails to remind them of praying for Muslims. And then the next thing, I would love to see them come to a training. They could do it online or our face-to-face training is in May. So when they go to our website, cphope.org, they can join the prayer movement, they can uh, sign up for events, or they can download. There's a lot of free resources that are available there. But whatever we do, let's not stand on the sidelines. You know, in America, you have a game called American football. When I learned the game, I came as an international student, you know, we play soccer. And I remember asking my roommate, I said, uh, how many people play on the game? He said, 11. And I said, oh, wow, you have a lot of replacements, injury replacements. He goes, no, 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 these are different teams, kicking teams, special teams, uh, defense, offense. And I asked him, well, uh, when do these people know when it's their turn to play? And he said, oh, the coach will tell them. Well, my brother and my sister in ministry with church uh, and ministry as Christians, Jesus is our coach. And guess what? All of us play. We can't stand right. on the sideline. We're already, it's our game. So my challenge for our listeners is don't stand on the sidelines. Don't let any excuses. There are Muslims in your community. Stop praying for them. If you know them by name, pray for them by name. You don't know. It's just every Friday, Muslims go to prayer. Pray every Friday for Muslims wherever they are. Maybe you pray for Muslims in Malaysia or Nigeria or Somalia. It's okay. Just pray. Pray for Muslims in America that somebody will go tell them about Jesus. And you will be shocked how when we bring this to the Lord, he is the Lord of the harvest. He will change things. And uh, I'll be in India next week. We are trusting God for a move of the Holy Spirit in India because there are Muslims in India. This is the second largest Muslim nation. It's funny. You know, you think you think it should be like another Arab country. No, that most, uh, most Muslims don't speak Arabic or even Arab ethnically. So the challenge for us today is pray for Muslims. Get, get in the... Uh, in the game, as we say in English, you know, maybe maybe do a training, maybe you sign up for a conference, maybe you sign up on a mission trip, but let us not stand on the sidelines. This is the game of life, and it's very valuable for a lot of Muslims who are in darkness. They do not know that God loves them and has provided Jesus as a savior for them. And most people in the game of football in America, they sit in the sidelines, they sit in the stands, and they're spectators. And uh, we don't need spectators. We need people to get into the game. So, uh, Fuad, this is great to have you come on. Uh, Share your website again, CP Hope, I believe, cphope.org. cphope.org. 
They can also search crescentproject.org yes. for information as well. And you have a podcast uh, as well. So you got a lot of resources out there. Again, thank you for joining the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.